0: Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, if you're using one of our hardback Bibles, you should find it on page 981. We'll read this morning verses 17 through verse 1 of chapter 4. Um, As you are aware, it's our practice to stand when we read Scripture. So if you're able, let me ask that you do that now. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is, uh, in their, They glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit. That you would open our minds and ears and hearts to hear and receive this, your word, and that you might, by it, conform us more and more into the image of Christ. For it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. You know, um,. If you have a a passport, your country of origin determines the color of your booklet. We're Americans, I guess most of us, all of us. uh, My passport is blue because I'm from the United States. When we were on our trip this summer, we would go through airports. And when you switched countries, you had to get in a line for you know, and There was an EU line, a European Union line, and a, and a non-European Union line. And the European Union line, most of those were red passports because they were from countries in the EU. The, your country of origin kind of determines the color of the booklet of your passport. In first century Roman Empire, they didn't have passports. They didn't issue uh, little booklets that gave you, you know, with your picture in them so that you could then um, travel around uh, wherever you wanted to go and you just showed your picture, you showed your passport, and they said, oh, you're from Philippi, therefore, okay, you have these rights. Oh, you're from Rome itself, you have these rights. Now, They, they basically traveled by, um, not very politically correct these days, but they basically traveled by stereotype. I know you're not supposed to do that, but let's admit how easy that is. We were in a small pub in a small town in Western Ireland. And they could guess within three, maybe four guesses, which of the U.S. states we were from. You're from the U.S.? I mean, that was a layup, right? That's obvious. We know by language and custom and that sort of thing. They they knew we were from the United States. That was easy. But they knew we were from the South. And they would say, where are you from? Alabama? Okay, well, I would have gotten close. They're going to guess one of three or four states. It it doesn't take that much to figure out where, where we're from. You know, the... Um, Nancy and I were watching a show recently and, and there was a scene as it switched from one scene to the next it switched from a, a Japanese culture to an American culture and just like that it went from, from quiet and respectful t- to neither of those things to loud music playing people dancing just like that you can kind of tell where people are from. That was how, essentially, how people traveled in the Roman Empire. In fact, we even read in Scripture that that all Cretans were stereotyped as liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, and that all Athenians, all they really wanted to do was sit around and learn the latest, greatest, newest philosophy. There, There were stereotypes out there. That's essentially how people traveled in the Roman world. There was no camera. There was no way to take pictures and have a passport. Paul uses uh, in this passage sort of the idea of maybe what we might call a reverse passport. See, my passport tells you where I'm from. It doesn't really tell you where I'm going. Paul says, not only can you tell where people are from by their language, by their speech, by their personalities, by their customs, by the the terms they use for different things. You can tell where people are from. But Paul says you can also tell where people are going by those things. Not, Not where they're going, like getting in the car and going to the store and... Are you going to Publix or Aldi? That's not the... You can tell where they're headed ultimately by the life that they live. You can tell where someone's from by their speech, by their language, by their terminology. You can also get a sense of where they are headed. Paul has already, earlier in this chapter, told us to to watch out for certain people. In verse 2, he said, look out for the dogs, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, look out for those evildoers. There are people we need to watch out for to keep a wary eye on because they're dangerous. But here he says, there are other people you need to watch. There are other people you need to keep your eye on. People worth emulating. People worth modeling your lives after. If you if if you watch enough college football, Kirk Herbstreet is the best at this. Um, he frequently okay. You have the sort of given obvious people that are supposed to play a a big role in a game, but leading up to the game, he will add things like, "But keep an eye on so and so at this position, wearing number whatever." He's he's great at reading uh, and picking up. Um, picking up blocks, or he's great at reading the, the quarterback's eyes and he's able to jump on a ball better than most. He's, he's great at pointing out, but keep an eye on these people. Watch these people. Paul says there are some people you need to watch. There are some people you need to, to keep an eye on, not because they're dangerous, but because they're, they're worthy of emulating. They're worthy of modeling your life after Paul's following Christ. Others are following Paul. He's already held up Timothy and Epaphroditus as models of Christian living. Paul says, Imitating me. Imitate me. Join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep an eye on those who follow who model their lives after Timothy and Epaphroditus for example but there are people who are enemies of the cross these people would be friends of the cross, these people would would point you to Christ by their lives by their behavior, by their action but there are people who are enemies of the cross we read in verse 18 Paul's not very specific here, did you notice that he doesn't he doesn't really give you a a clear um, definition of who these people are. He may very well be talking about the legalistic Judaizers that he's already mentioned before. their God is their belly they they make a god out of Jewish dietary laws they've they've said yes jesus, but but Jesus plus your works. Jesus saves you, yes, but not Jesus alone. You're not saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. You're saved by faith in Christ plus, and if you're Gentiles, if you want to come to Christ, you have to come through Judaism. You have to add circumcision, um, Jewish dietary laws, the things that you uh, may and may not eat. They, they add to Christ by adding the law of Moses to the basis of your salvation. He, he could mean, when he says that their God is their belly, he's referring to the legalistic Judaizers who've, who've essentially made a God of their dietary laws. They glory in their shame. He's already said that, that circumcision divorced from Christ. When you separate Christ from the sign. When you when you separate the sign from its fulfillment, you, you miss the point of the sign altogether. And so you glory in circumcision. That which that which should have been private, you've now made public. That which was merely a sign pointing to Christ, you've now made the end of your salvation, the, the basis of your salvation. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Where, where do you want to have lunch this week? Let's let's meet at lunch uh, at Lawler's for lunch. No, nope, can't do it. Can't eat at Lawlers. I, I can't do pork. I, I can't do bacon. Oh, poor wretched soul. There's they they make their belly their god. Paul may very well be talking about the the, the legalistic. Judaizers, they are enemies of the cross because rather than uphold the true biblical gospel of Christ, rather than than uphold Christ as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, they would say, Yes, Jesus plus. They 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 mar, they destroy the gospel as soon as they say. Plus, they ruined the gospel as soon as they say "plus." Their God was their belly; their glory is their shame. Paul may be describing the, the legalistic Judaizers, but it's also possible he's describing the exact opposite of that, because it wouldn't have been all that uncommon in Greek in the Greco-Roman world that Philippi very much was. To say, well, what I do in my body really doesn't matter, and and it, what really matters is my spirit. And and he could be describing not not legalistic Judaizers, but but antinomian Greeks, people who say there is no law at all. It, it doesn't matter what I do. There are people who would would satisfy their fleshly desires. Their God is their belly. They can eat and drink and whatever fleshly desires they have, sex, it all. none of it matters. They, they consume it all. They've, they've made an end. Their aim is to worship the things that they can do in this life. They merely want to, to satisfy the desires of their bodies. Whatever those desires... Maybe their motto might be, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's nothing after the grave, so it doesn't really matter what I do. I might as well live up this life. I might as well enjoy this life, because this is the only life there is. He could be describing the legalistic Judaizers. He could be describing antinomian Greeks you know people like this. You, you know people who, for whom the real heart of their Christian life is I don't drink, smoke, or chew or go with girls that do. You know... No, my campus minister used to say that all the time in college. You know people that that that, that is their Christian living is marked out by, well, look at all the things that I don't do. Look at all these barriers I've set up around myself. Look at the the laws and rules I've established that I keep, that I obey. See, I'm a Christian. Jesus, plus, look at all the things I don't do. And as soon as we say plus, we've destroyed the gospel. There are those out there who make no claim for Christ whatsoever. They are living for this world only. This is the only world there is in their minds. This is, I might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I'm going to die. And after that, what? Nothing. And since there's nothing, I might as well live this life to the fullest. I might as well, to quote Schlitz, go for the grab for the gusto. Because this life is all there is. You know people who will abuse the gospel. You know people who will say, well, I'm, I'm saved by grace. Oh, blessed condition. I can sin all I want and still have remission. An abuse of the gospel. An abuse of of certainly of what Paul says here in this passage. He could be talking about legalistic Judaizers. He could be talking about antinomian Greeks. You know, there's there's one word in English that has two definitions, and those definitions are opposites of each other. The word cleave has two definitions, and those two definitions are the opposites of each other. It strikes me as interesting that Paul could, with, this, with these two verses, verses 18 and 19, could actually grab two extremes, like the legalist and the antinomian. And we go, he could be talking about either one of them. Because either one of them are enemies of the cross. The one who says there is no life to come, he's an enemy of the gospel of Christ. Because the gospel of Christ says there absolutely is A life that is to come. The one who says I'm I'm saved by Jesus plus is is abusing the gospel. They're an enemy of the cross because they're saying the cross is almost good enough. Because what Jesus did on the cross I have to add to by doing or not doing these certain things. They're both enemies of the cross. And Paul says those are the people you need to watch out for. Their god is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. Paul is always hardest on those on those who travel with fake passports. Those who claim to be Christian but whose lives Don't match at all. Yes, Jesus, but Jesus plus Paul is hard on those people. Paul comes down harsh on those people. They're they're abusing the gospel. Yes, Jesus, so I can do whatever I want to because grace abounds and it doesn't really matter. Paul is harsh on those people because they're abusing the gospel. They're, they're traveling under a fake passport. Their passport's not real. You know those spy movies? Anytime the CIA and FBI are involved, um, uh, the spy, you know, the Bourne movies, for example, they, they, they always have their American passport, but then they have a box. They have an envelope. I mean, and if they want to be Latvian, they can be Latvian. And if they want to be French, they can be French. If they want to be Italian, Russian, it doesn't matter. They can just grab whichever passport they need. And and travel under a fake passport. Well that's Paul says these, these people are enemies of the cross. They're traveling under fake passports. They claim to be Christian, but their minds are fixed on this life and only this life. They're, they're, they're not their lives don't match up. They're traveling under a fake passport. Anyone who Claims to follow Christ but whose lives don't match up. They're enemies of the cross. They're enemies of Christ. Do you remember the beginning of chapter 2? Have this mind which you have in Christ. Consider others better than yourselves. Look after not only your own interests but also the interests of others. That's living for the life that is to come. These are people who would rather seek their own glory. They would rather seek their own health, their own wealth, their own honor in front of the crowds rather than seeking the glory of Christ. They live for this world only. Athens is not a very big town. We have two zip codes. Some cities may have three, four, five, six zip codes. We have two. Technically we have three. Okay. I don't want you to think I'm ignorant. There is a third zip code. That's your post office box is one, two, but your domicile, your house, the place you actually live is either going to be in one, one or one three, right? That's your zip code. Unless you're a Christian, that's merely a temporary zip code. That's not your permanent address. You're only living there temporarily. Notice Jesus, I mean, Paul says in verse 20, our citizenship, our true zip code, is in heaven. We're not really here. I mean, we're here, we're really here. But our citizenship isn't here. I may carry a blue passport because I'm from the United States, but we as Christians have a a different color passport. I don't know what I don't know what color passport heaven heaven gives out. Gold? You want to go with gold? I bet you all thought gold. As soon as as soon as I mentioned heaven, heaven having a colored passport, you all thought gold. Let's go with gold. But you you your passport not only reflects where you're from, it reflects where you're going. We are citizens not just of this world. We're citizens of the world that is to come. We're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of, a, of a, another country. We carry a passport that, that is a different color that reflects that we are headed towards heaven. And it's from that heaven... we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to return. It's from that heaven. He's coming from there to get us. He's coming back from that heaven to get us. Now, most of us, I expect, will have died before He gets here. We may be alive when He returns, and, and we saw what happens in our affirmation of faith earlier, what will happen to those who are alive when Christ returns. If, however, we are dead, our bodies are in the ground, He raises those bodies from the dead. And He transforms this earthly, lowly, created, sin-affected body into a body, a glorious body. Like his. We anticipate a new body. Death doesn't get the last word. The grave isn't the last thing to speak to you. The grave doesn't grab hold of you and say, Ha, see, I won. I finally won. The grave loses. Death loses and we have the hope and anticipation and expectation of yes our body will be laid in the ground it'll it'll decay it'll decompose and i don't know how this works when christ i haven't experienced it yet right i don't know how this works but when christ returns our our body is going to be put back together again and, and it's going to be like the body you have now and not like the body you have now. Jesus, after his resurrection, had a body. He ate food. He could be touched. He could be hugged. He was seen by hundreds of people. You, you, oh, well, maybe they saw a ghost. Ghosts don't eat. And if a ghost does eat, you watch the food fall to the ground. There's, there's no place for it to go. Jesus ate. And was and was touched. He was recognizable as Jesus. In fact, he he bore the scars and showed them to Thomas and said, See, it's me. It really is me. And yet, somehow he could appear in an upper room with doors locked and windows shut without knocking first or or Magically unlocking the door and walking in—I mean, nobody heard the door. He can—he can can appear, and and on the road to Emmaus, these people couldn't recognize him. They—they didn't. He kept them from recognizing who he was. He, He has a a true body, a recognizable body, and and yet it's different. That's that's our hope. We anticipate a resurrection in which we will have glorious bodies in the life that is to come. Notice the great joy of heaven isn't we thought we thought heaven issues gold passports. Because in our, in our minds we're all excited about streets of gold no description of heaven here there's no description of of what that's like Paul's great joy and ours is not heaven itself did you notice that it's Christ it's Jesus it's being with Jesus for all eternity Our citizenship is in heaven. We anticipate that Christ will return from that very heaven and transform these lowly bodies to be like His, that that we might be with Him. You know, one of the reasons, well, you get a passport to travel overseas because you have to have one. Now, once you have one, what you really hope for is stamps. You want to fill that book with stamps. We were horribly frustrated this summer when we flew from Ireland to England in Liverpool and and walked through the airport like we just walked through our home in Athens. It was, there was nobody to look at our passport. Nobody cared. Nobody to stamp the thing. I, I, I left paying with euros, and now I have to pay with pounds. I should get a stamp. That should be how this works. If I have to change currency, I should get a stamp. One, the only time our passport was stamped was in Dublin, landing there and then landing again, coming back from Scotland. But the coolest experience was flying out of Dublin to come home. It was a hassle because uh, in Ireland, the U.S. handles all the customs in Ireland. So we had to travel through layers and layers and layers of security And questions and all kinds of things. The last guy we passed, he looked at our passports. He asked us a few questions about our trip. Made sure Mary Liles could do her times tables. I don't know why that came up, but he did. He asked her that question. The last thing he said to us was welcome home. And it took me a second. As a representative of the United States, he saw our passports, he approved everything we'd been through, made sure we weren't carrying anything illegal. And and as we walked away, he almost forgot, I think. But as we walked away, he kind of turned back and said, Welcome home. It took me a minute. And then it dawned on me. I'm in the Dublin airport. I still have to get to a gate. I still have to wait for a plane to land. I still have to board that plane and fly several, six, seven hours across the Atlantic Ocean before I actually get there. But here, this representative of the United States had the right and the authority to say to me, Welcome home. I was as good as home. I got chills when he said that. See, there's a sense in which you and I live in the Dublin airport. There's a sense in which you and I have heard the phrase, Welcome home. We look back to our salvation, to our deliverance from sin, the penalty of sin. It's as good as done. Because what Christ has done for us through faith in Christ Alone for our salvation. We look back to Him and we hear welcome home. It's as, as good as accomplished. So sure, so true is our salvation that we can, we can hear the words welcome home. Our citizenship is in heaven. So guaranteed is it that we as believers will be there. So sure is it that, that no one can snatch us out of His hands that we can hear, welcome home, even though we haven't actually set foot there yet. We're living in the Dublin airport. For some of you, the horizon is all you see. For some of you, it may very well be the case that that the grave is the end of your visibility. Your, your visibility different distance is the grave, and beyond that you can see nothing because, because you trust not in Christ for your salvation. For you, this life is all there is. This passage says, run to Christ, you too will find forgiveness for sin, deliverance from the penalty of sin, As we are being sanctified, more and more being delivered from the power of sin, we anticipate the day when we are ultimately delivered from the very presence of sin. This passage says, expand your horizon. Look beyond the grave to the life that is to come. Apart from Christ, your end is destruction, verse 19. That's not physical destruction. That's permanent, forever, eternal destruction. That's not merely tasting death and seeing the grave. It's eternal, permanent destruction. Apart from Christ, you're an enemy of the cross. Run to Christ. Christ is a friend of Sinners, you think to yourself, oh, but wait, I've got to clean up. I've got to get a little better about these things. No, Christ welcomes you as a sinner because He cleans you up. You say, oh, but I've got to stop doing these other things, or I've got to give up a few things, or I've got to get my life right. No, you can't. It's only in Christ that our life changes at all. Christ is a friend of sinners. Sinners. Trust in Him and He will welcome you home. The question for us as believers is, how do you live in the Dublin airport? How do you live between the welcome home and the my feet aren't there yet? How do you live between being welcomed home into heaven, your citizenship actually in heaven, but your feet aren't where your citizenship is yet? How do we live there? How do you live as one who belongs to a city who is still, still in a distant land? Hebrews 11 tells us that faith, faith is assurance of things that we can't yet see. We still long for and hope for, and we have assurance of them though we can't yet see it. That's part of the reason I think Paul gives us concrete examples in this passage. We still are fallen, frail, weak humans. We we could use a concrete example or two. And so he, he points, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's not saying only himself. There are those who walk according to the model your life after the who do you model your life after who do you aspire to be we live in a world that sets up athletes and politicians and wealthy business owners as to be our model everybody wants to be tom brady or steve jobs or president nice or whatever Who would you model your life after? Paul says there are those who look beyond the grave to the life that is to come. Follow them. Imitate them. Follow that example. Because they're living in light of the hope of heaven. And the resurrection that is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promise of a resurrection, for the promise of a life that is to come. And your promises are yea and amen in Christ. They are sure and true, so true that, that we can stand in the Dublin airport, our feet not yet on home soil. And be assured that they one day will be. Father, we pray that You would give us the grace to live in that airport. To live in between. To live as citizens of heaven. In a world that wants to oppose heaven. And we pray that You would use us to gather more and more citizens of heaven Along the way. Through Christ we ask it. Amen.